listening to The Fret Files, the Guitar Workshop Podcast with Eric Daw. Indeed, welcome to the show. This is the Fret Files, the Guitar Repair Workshop Podcast. The Guitar Work Repair Workshop Podcast. I still haven't ironed that out, but it, anyhow, it's the Fret Files Podcast. My name is Eric Daw. I'm happy to be your host this evening or this morning, whatever the case may be, this afternoon. With me, as always, is my lovely wife and co-host, Melissa Daw. Say hello to the nice folks. Hello, nice folks. Here they are. Folks, meet Melissa. If you're a long-time listener to the podcast, she needs no introduction, of course. Uh, I tell you what, we were going to do this podcast a few weeks ago, but it's just been, we've just been decimated with illness. Dude. I've probably had the flu and or a cold all winter. It's ridiculous. Since October, off and on, you know? It's really been awful. So my voice is finally back, as is Melissa's almost finally back. You can tell she's a little, still a little under the... Uh, I'm just a little horse. She's just a tiny little horse. <laughs> Nay! <laughs> and uh, so we're, we're finally feeling better, and I, I don't know what to do. I, next winter, I'm done, man. I'm done being sick all winter. What do you, what's my problem? Do we're I, just going to kick colds right in the face. <laughs> do I... Do I work too much? Am I too stressed out? Do I not take enough... Uh, I'm, I'm not drinking enough raw, unfiltered apple cider vinegar. That's yeah, my, That's the problem. That's the problem. I need to eat cloves of raw garlic and drink apple cider vinegar. I'm never going to kiss you ever again. Yeah. Uh, but this is our three-year anniversary for the show. Oh, wow. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, we started. I started it three years ago. I think you came in after the first several episodes. Yeah, or I think it was a year the, later. Yeah, or something. yeah, maybe I, I, I did the first ten or twelve solo. Uh, but yeah, this is the three-year anniversary. When I was trying to name the podcast, I found this the other day. This made me laugh. This is I was trying to figure out a name for the podcast. In January of 2014, so I posted on Facebook to my friends, help me name my guitar repair and building podcast. And these are some of the things that some people suggested. Trevor Boone says, don't fret it. Yeah, don't fret it. Jeff Gonlin says, the telecast. Which is clever. It is. But uh, the show is about more than just telecasters and... I really don't want to get on the radar of Fender's legal team. Yeah. I don't uh, think that, that that would, but... Well, you never know. It doesn't matter because it wouldn't be a, a good name for the show anyway. Right. But clever. Uh, Trevor Boone has another one. Why I Hate Guitars. That could be... Uh, that, you know, that's not bad. Yeah. Uh, Sam Ryan. 
Guitar Science with Dr. Daw. Yeah. That like was that, that was like that. my favorite. I like that. Uh if somebody named Eric Daw. Yeah. So I said my initial idea was the Guitar Repair Podcast. As you can see, I need help. <laughs> uh then Ken Lapworth Lapworth came up with Strung Through the Wood with Eric Daw. And you know, I like a lot of these, but they they just don't get the idea across. Right. Uh, here's another one from Eric Daw. Live from Guitar Jail, it's the Eric Daw Show. Yeah, that's a joke. I, <laughs> sometimes I call my sh- workshop Guitar Jail because sometimes it feels like Guitar Jail, which is much better than real jail. Well, yeah. By a lot. However, it still feels a little imprisoning. Right. Yeah. Uh, Edward Kildo. Kildow. That's Kildow. Kildow. Dr. Daw's Guitar Corral. And these would be great Western swing band names, <laughs> but for a podcast about guitar repair, they're just not quite cutting it. Susan Palmer suggested, I'd keep the main title clear and simple and have fun with the subtitle. Guitar Repair, Eric Daw in the Woodshed. I feel like that one you'd be like from the 70s with a big mustache. I am. Oh. Okay. Uh, This next one is my favorite from Chris Klein. Everything you ever wanted to know about guitars, but will continue to refuse to believe. That is the unofficial subtitle of the show, still to this day. I love it. Uh, Heidi Daw Nelson says string theory good which i really like that one because it combines two interests that eric and i have that was from my sister yeah unfortunately i don't want people to th- yeah it it yeah. it needed to the the title i was looking for needed to convey that it was about guitar repair right uh john guilford the tone tribune yeah again good but yeah doesn't convey the uh the the idea thomas paul my friend says, sharpen your axe. Or wait, clean up your axe. That's A-X-E, right? Clean up your axe. I, I think that's funny. That's cute. Yeah. And then uh, Eric Daw says, the fret files. We have a winner. The fret files it is, and the fret files it has been for the last three years. Thanks for listening to the uh, to the show, all you longtime listeners. And if you're new to the show, keep listening. It's a monthly podcast, thereabouts. And uh, the frequency may become even more frequent. We'll we'll see. Anyhow, uh, we do have a uh, call. Shall shall we take a call? Yes. Okay. Hey guys, this is Dean and Bo. I got a Gretsch uh, sixty-one twenty. It's a the bright orange hollow body that. You always see Brian Setzer playing. Um, I bought mine in the early 90s. I got the the Gretsch Filtertron pickups on there. And I'm wondering, I just recently changed amps. And for some reason, I don't know if this is, I don't know why this is. Hopefully you can help me. All of a sudden, it seems like my my first and second strings are are so much quieter than the rest of the strings. And I don't know if it's the amp. I'm wondering if it's my pickups. Um, I've definitely played around with both. And it also sort of seems to be intermittent, not all the time. 
um, kind of varying from gig to gig, like from time that I have the amp on to a different time when I turn the amp on and play. So is it possible that part of my pickup, the high side of my pickup is, is starting to go dead or could it be something? Am I imagining things? Help me out. Love the show. Thanks a lot. Well, Dean, uh, that's a, that's a tricky question, man. I just don't know. So filter trons, he's got filter trons in his first and second string. I'm, I'm assuming you mean, uh, you're talking about your high E and your B string, your first and second string are a little too quiet. And this is after you switched amps. I'm, my guess is that it's something to do with your amp. Um, because that was the only thing that changed. At least that's what I got from your story. Uh, those do have, those filtertrons do have adjustable pole pieces. The, the, you know, each each little pole piece is a flathead screw, and you could uh, raise those up just a little bit. And sometimes just a tiny little bit of difference makes uh, makes all the difference in the world there if on your on your pole piece height. So if it's if the first and second strings seem quiet, raise up the corresponding pole pieces underneath those strings and see if you can get a boost there. Otherwise, you know, try out a, a couple different amps maybe, or I, I just don't know. That's a, that's a weird deal. But like you said, you switched amps and, uh, that's when you notice the problem. So to, you know, to me, if, if the guitar is exactly the same as it always has been, um, that's my guess is that it's your amp the the magnet in a filtertron um there's just one magnet for all strings there's there's a bar magnet underneath the whole pickup assembly and then the pull pieces just um go you know alongside the magnet and the magnet um kind of charges the steel screws the steel pull pieces um, so, the, you know, if you had a magnet problem, it would be your whole pickup that would, that would sound funny or sound weak. So I really do think it's your amp, but check it out. You can, like I say, you can try to raise those pull pieces on the weak strings and see if that helps. I hope that helps, man. Let me know. Give, give me a follow up and let me, let me know what you found out. Interesting question. Yeah. Yeah. If you would like to submit a question to the podcast and I, and I hope you will. You can do so by calling, like Dean did, 757-774-8482. You can call or text that number, 757-774-8482, any time of night or day. Nobody's going to answer. It just goes straight to a voicemail. Or you can text, like I said, 757-774-8482. The other way to contact the show is to go to my website, ericdaw.com, E-R-I-C, DAW.com, click the contact button, and that will take you right to a form you can fill out with your, your question. Uh, you know, while you're there, you can check out my website, see all the things I do. I do guitar repair, guitar restorations, I rewind pickups, I make custom pickups, I make custom guitars, all kinds of things for you to check out. We've got a lot of questions. Shall we get right to the letters? Let's do it. Eric and Melissa, Torrified Tonewood, is it cheating, snake oil, or a genius modern marvel of acoustic guitar building? 
Is there merit to the claim that it's replicating the sound of naturally aged tone woods? Also, what are your thoughts on the lifespan of acoustic instruments? Do they peak? Do they finally die? Speaking of tone on a well-maintained instrument, I've heard it suggested that these torrified woods may sound great today, but they peak early. You two are a riot and great companions on my morning commute. Daniel. Cool. Thanks, Daniel. Um, I know we've talked about this before. I hope that this... Did I use this question before? I don't know. I don't think so. Okay. Uh, Daniel has very clearly laid out all of the... It's it's kind of a hot debate in guitar circles right now. Do you know what torrified wood is? No, tell me. So torrified means that it's been heat treated. It's been brought up to a specific temperature for a specific amount of time. It's kind of like when you buy treated lumber. Oh, okay. Uh, for outdoor use, you know. Sure. What I mean. Um, so it's it, also known as roasted. Okay. So uh, they they bring it up to a specific temperature so that it is it's supposed to kind of break in the wood and it's also supposed to make it um sturdier i don't know how to describe it uh, uh, less impervious to humidity and temperature problems okay more stable it's supposed to be and it's supposed to sound great and all this stuff but a lot of people say well um you know that's all fine and good but are they going to peak early and are they going to last are they going to have the are they going to have the lifespan of an, of untreated wood? So it's kind of early to tell. We don't really know because it's kind of a new thing. It's a new fad thing, and and uh, it's really hard to say. We we just don't know because we haven't really been doing it long enough to know what's the lifespan of, of these guitars going to be. So that's it's actually a thing where wood ages to a certain point and then it reaches its peak of tone. Well, th- that's the theory. That's the theory. And you don't think that that's well? Is it hard science? I don't know. I well, that's because uh, that y- seems pretty scammy to me. Yeah, I I have definitely noticed, and it's really a thing that guitars that are broken in do have a uh, uh, a better sound. Interesting. Yeah, and it's because the wood opens up as it vibrates, right? If it's been vibrating for decades and been played for a long time, um, then it 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 opens up and it sounds better. That's why a lot of old vintage guitars are are so sought after because they sound better. You know, I'm talking acoustic instruments. Yeah, this sounds kind of kind of like snake oil to me. Though. Yeah, I well, mean, a lot of people feel that way, but a lot of people do. So we really don't know. Is torrified tone wood going to be something that? lasts forever and ever we just don't know um i've used a few roasted uh maple necks on electric guitars and i liked them i liked uh, i liked the way they looked i liked the way they sounded uh working with the wood was a little different it it uh you can tell the moisture content in the wood is just nil i mean it is just nothing because you sand on it and it just turns to powder and it, it it you can just tell it's a different is it more brittle yeah i mean you i guess that would be another word for it it's not going to break it's just a uh, for for example here's here's something 
replacing frets on a roasted neck is tricky because that maple no longer acts like the maple you're used to. I've done that before and was horrified to find that it acts more like 50-year-old dried out ebony. Oh. It just wants to splinter away and turn into, you know, dust. I mean, it's really hard to refret. So that's one thing to consider is refretting a roasted neck is really difficult. Hmm. That wood is just bone dry once it's been heat treated. So yeah, Daniel, I don't have any answers, but it is an interesting debate, isn't it? If it if it's bone dry though, wouldn't it be less uh, likely to warp over time? That's the that's exactly the theory. Oh, yeah, okay. they're supposed to be more stable. Oh yeah, yeah. you already said that. Mm-hmm. Sorry. Yeah. Derp. Uh, hi, Eric and Mel. First, thank you for taking the time to do these podcasts. They're fantastic. Love the show. I have two questions. First, regarding bridge pins. I'm not concerned about tone differences because, like you've said before, and I agree, I don't see it mattering much. I am more concerned with causing damage to the bridge or bridge plate. If I were to change my bridge pins on my D28 from plastic to something more dense like bone or ebony, would it be possible for these harder materials to crack the bridge as the wood expands and contracts around them? I like, I'd like to change them purely because they look nice, but I don't want to damage the guitar. Second, a totally unrelated question. I have a mid-90s Mexican-made Strat. I changed out the pickups and installed a set of Fender Pure Vintage 65s. They sound great. Is it worth upgrading all the other electronics, wires, switches, etc.? I've seen folks selling on eBay selling wire kits based on the old vintage wiring, but would these other components actually make a tone difference? Would upgrading everything else be be more for reliability? If the guitar is working fine, is it worth the time or money? Many thanks, Chad in Massachusetts. Thanks, Chad. Uh, his first question about bridge pins. You know, I've never heard anybody being concerned about um, the wood pins and the surrounding wood uh, expanding and contracting and cracking the bridge plate. I guess it's possible, but, man, I would not worry about it as long as they're, as long as they're fit properly. You know, if they're, if they're too tight, then yeah. But that's going to be the same case with any, with any bridge pin, no matter what it's made out of. So it's really more important to make sure that the fit is proper uh, rather than be concerned about the material. Bone, ebony, plastic, just make sure that the fit is right. His second question, uh, yeah, is it worth... Replacing all the other components in a Mexi Strat. Uh, well, you know, it's a question I get a lot. People buy Epiphones, people buy Mexican-made fenders. They want to swap out everything. And you can certainly do it. Um, some of the Mexi Strats I've seen, the Mexican fenders that I've seen, uh, they already have CTS pots and decent switches in them. So really wouldn't make any sense to do that. Uh, I would look and see what you've got first. Sounds like you've been in there because you swapped out the pickups. So if the pots are full-size CTS pots, I mean, what are you going to upgrade to? You know, those are great pots, so leave them. If they're the tiny, tiny little dime-sized Asian-made crummy pots, you can certainly replace them out, and, uh, they're, you know, really it's a matter of of reliability and quality rather than tone. I don't think you're going to notice a tone difference if you go swapping out switches and pots 
Um, because if they work, they work. The electrons travel through them. The electrons don't care whether it's a, a CTS pot or not. Um, the pickups are going to make much have a much bigger bearing on tone. Is it worth the time or money? That's really your call. Uh, I do like knowing that I have quality components in my guitars, and since I work on my own guitars anyway, I usually do put uh, top quality stuff in there. So, yeah, your call. Thanks, Chad. Stuck parts, specifically Strat saddle height screws. What do you do to get rusty, crusty, stuck metal parts unstuck? Thanks, Ken D. in Arizona. Cool, thanks, Ken. Those saddle height screws on Stratocasters are such a pain because everybody rests their hands right there and they get sweat on and they get gunk and the the adjustment is a tiny little Allen wrench oh. that strips really easily. So Perfect. Yeah, so it's really a mess. Those are always stuck. Uh, the way I deal with it is I make sure that I clean out the adjustment uh, portion, the top, the very top of each screw with a toothpick. So it's something soft enough that it's not going to damage the metal. Clean out all the old sweat and rust and grime out of there and make sure that you can get a proper, nice fit with your Allen wrench. Uh, and then what I like to do is oil them. I use three-in-one oil. You can use basically any kind of machine oil like that. And then I take a, uh, I have a dedicated uh, soldering iron that I that I don't use to solder. I use it only for stuck metal parts. And I, uh, I get that nice and hot and just leave it on the stuck screw and heat it up with the oil on it. Get it nice and hot, too hot to touch. And uh, that usually does the trick. The metal expands and contracts. The oil... Um, is able to permeate everything when when you heat it up. And that usually does the trick to get it unstuck. But if it feels stuck, don't try to get it unstuck by forcing the Allen wrench around because all you're going to do then is just strip the adjustment part of it and then then you've really got problems. Then you just have to replace it. Well, how do you get it out once it's stripped? Once it's stripped, you can take vice grips and just grab the screw and just turn it and turn it and turn it. Oh, I guess that makes sense. But it ruins the threads to do that. Right. But as long as, you know, if the if the if the adjustment if the Allen if the hex is stripped, then Yeah, it doesn't you might really as well matter. you might as well strip the threads because you gotta replace it anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Thanks Ken. Ken. Whoa, Harmony. Jinx. <clears throat> hey Eric and Mal, quick question for the show. I have a bunch of pickups stored in a Tupperware bin. They're all piled on top of one another. Is that okay, or will that mess up their magnetism? Thanks, Todd. Yeah, I don't have any hard proof, but my guess is, and I've always been told, uh, that you don't want to do that. It's If you've got North Poles touching other North Poles, and or just South Poles touching North Poles, or whatever. You've you really know, got that, a problem. Yeah, right. Well, it's like... Um, yeah, I mean, that's that's how Alnico gets charged, is by... With other magnets, right? Much stronger magnets than yeah. than other pickups. They but really get a charge out of touching somebody's South Pole. You are you are a sick person. 
Uh, but the the bottom line is, I I I wouldn't I wouldn't store them all jumbled together in a Tupperware <laughs> bin. Yeah, because I I really do think that it can affect the the magnets. Eric, after listening to your lipstick tube pickup shootout, it reminded me of a question. I have a reissue Dano convertible that I bought years ago to leave tuned to E or G to use to learn how to play slide. Here is my question. Is there a way that you know of to convert the floating bridge on the Dano to a fixed bridge? Given the hollow fiberboard nature of that guitar body, I'm leery of using a fixed bridge design to screw into a solid body. Is there a reasonable way to glue the existing floating bridge or at least pin it so that it can stay in place? Great podcast. Thanks for your efforts. By the way, I'm with you on the lipstick pickups. They all sounded great, and this reinforces my views that sometimes guitar players spend a lot of time splitting hairs over tone issues. Stan from Des Moines. Cool, Stan. Thanks, man. I love those old Dan Electro convertibles. He's got one, and he wants to know, is there a reasonable way to fix the bridge in place it's a weird bridge it's a wood bridge with a fret (laughs) in the middle of it with three little adjustment screws like a like a tripod and you know off the top of my head i can't think of a nice clean easy way to do that i guess you could i guess you could do it i kind of hate to put holes in the dan electro top um if you wanted to do that i guess what you could do would be to uh you could take the fret out and then uh put some nails in the fret slot and and have a couple holes in your top and then the the nails would align with the top but i don't know man i kind of hate to do that Uh, you know i've got one and the string the string tension keeps it in place pretty well I would actually kind of advise against doing it, but it could be done. Well, what's the benefit of doing that? Well, it's it's nothing is keeping it exactly where it needs to be. So, and if it moves one oh, way or the other, that you, your, your totally intonation off. is is oh. gone. So every time you change strings, yeah, every time you change strings, you have to set it. But it's easy to do. Um, yeah, I mean, I, yeah, it's a pain, but. But I'd I'd leave it the way it is, personally. Okay. Thanks, Dan. Hey, guys. I love the show, and I am a proud owner of a custom Melco strap featuring my dog, Louie. Oh, yeah. I remember that one. I remember you making that strap. Yeah, that's a good one. I have a question concerning my Longhorn bass reissue. The lipstick pickups have a bit of a wiggle have a bit of wiggle room in the body and tend to make noise when they vibrate, hitting the side of the pickup routes. Do you have any special tricks or suggestions for preventing this? Thanks, Eric in North Carolina. Yes, sir. Thanks for the question. Uh, There's two things that I would suggest. The first thing I'd suggest is trying um, to, uh, if, if you take that pickup out, there should be some springs on the bottom. And I would try uh, heftier springs to to stop the wiggle. If that doesn't do it, what you can do is, with the pickups out, put just a fine bead of super glue or nail polish or something around the pickup hole, just to make the, just to make it so that the pickup doesn't 
wiggle so much, but you really have to be careful doing it because, you know, you don't want to, you don't want it to look bad. Uh, I don't, I don't really know what else you could do there, but, um, that, the, the better springs would be my, the better answer. And where do you find these string springs? Oh, well, different, uh, uh, I've seen different models with different, with different, uh, designs. So I'm not sure what kind of springs he would need. He'd have to take it out and look at it and see, oh, what I need is this size of spring. Any guitar shop should have pickup springs. Oh, okay. Yeah. Thanks, Eric. Hey, Eric and Melissa, I hope your holidays went smoothly and happy new year to your family. Eric, have you built a stacked pickup before for a customer? What are your thoughts on zero fret? Thanks so much. Jonathan in Victoria, Canada. Cool. Thanks, Jonathan. I've ne- I've never built a stacked pickup before. Um, I certainly could. Wouldn't be too hard to do. Do you know what a stacked pickup I is? I was just going to ask. So a, a single coil pickup. Right. And... And uh, then you've got a double coil pickup, a humbucker, right? Right. And they're side by side. Right. This is two pickups stacked, one on top of the other. So from the top, it looks like a single coil. Oh. But there's a coil underneath it for hum canceling. Interesting. Yeah. So you can make a, a fender style pickup with two coils just stuck, stacked one on top of the other. Huh. Yeah. That's yeah. Cool. And I could certainly do that. I just, it's really not my passion, so I don't. Is is it like double the 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 height of a normal pickup, or are they no? You shorter? usually do two sh- short coils. Okay. Yeah, and you'll use finer. What you know? What I would do would be if I were going to make like a, for example, a stacked Telecaster bridge pickup, I would use thinner wire so that I could uh, so that I could fit two coils on there. Huh. Cool. Uh, and what are your thoughts on zero fret? You know, I've talked about the zero fret before on the podcast, um, and I I don't mind I don't mind touching back on it again. But uh, I don't know. I'm not a big fan. I know that it's something that y- you see a lot on Gretsch guitars. It's something that you see on on a lot of Asian made guitars, uh, and occasionally you'll see it on like folk guitars. Um, it's just not my thing. I I don't know. I prefer, I prefer the, the the traditional nut rather than a zero fret. Uh, you know, zero fret kind of got a bad, kind of got a bad reputation because so many of the cheap Asian guitars in in the sixties and seventies had a zero fret because it was popular at the time because Gretsch was doing it, and uh, it, it's just kind of an easier way to do it because you don't have to be so specific about making a nut it just makes it easier you don't you don't really have to dial in the nut slots real carefully with the right height if you have a zero fret so it was i think they saw it as kind of a nice cheat in manufacturing to where uh it made it easier to make the guitars kind of skipped them a step of having to worry about the nut so much and so we were flooded with all these import guitars with zero frets and the quality on them was not that great. And so I think zero fret got a bad reputation because most of the guitars you saw with zero fret were crummy. But again, it's just not my thing. 
I don't mind it on a Gretsch, but yeah. All right. Thanks, Jonathan. Happy New Year, Eric and Melissa. I hope you and your growing family are doing well. We are. Thank you. My question is about fret sprout. In September, I finished a I finished up a custom-built guitar, and when it was done, the fretwork was the very best I had done up to that time. The fret ends were super smooth, and the guitar was a dream to play. Living in the Northeast, we have some cold weather where the heat is on for months. In mid-December is when I noticed the frets were sticking out. When examined closely, it looked to be a few thousandths of an inch proud of the fretboard. I am so disappointed. Since you've been working on guitars so long, my my question is, how do you deal with fret sprout? Just leave it until the warm weather, or do you file, sand, polish the ends while they are hanging out? Since this guitar is a custom built, there's no worries about affecting the value like on a valuable vintage guitar. Does your approach to this problem, how you deal with a valuable guitar? What's the best method to correct fret sprout? Thank you so much for the amazing podcast. I look forward to hearing it every month. John Nicholas. Thanks, John. Yeah, no reason to be disappointed, man. You know, fret sprout or sharp fret edges, it's a really common thing. It's just a really, really common thing, uh, especially for a new guitar when it gets a little dried out that the frets are going to just poke out of the edge of the fingerboard just a little bit. Of course, the wood shrinks, the frets don't, so it's just a really common problem. Nothing to worry about, nothing to be disappointed about, and truthfully, easy to fix. Uh, and yeah, I I definitely do um, just fix it when I see it. Uh, what you want to do is file them back down flush with the finish, sand and polish. And as long as the finish is thick enough, and it it almost always is, uh, you know, it, it should be pretty easy to file those down, reshape the uh, fret ends just a little bit, sand them and polish them, and it'll be just good as new. It's, it's a quick and easy job. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks, John. Yeah, nothing to worry about, man. Happens to... Happens to really valuable guitars and happens to custom made expensive guitars and it, you know not not a big deal hi eric and melissa discovered your podcast a few weeks ago and i'm thoroughly enjoying it listening to some of your older episodes you are quite critical of modern fender and gibson guitars are there any brands producing for the mass market that you think are doing good work I'm excluding smaller volume luthiers. Uh, by the way, I dislike that word too. Never heard it till I moved to the U.S. Anyway, <clears throat> keep up the great work and stay opinionated. I'll try and send a couple more questions your way. Thanks, Warren in Seattle via London. Cool, Warren. Thanks. Uh, you know, he's right. I have been critical of modern Fender and Gibson. I, you know, you have to understand where I'm coming from. Uh, Fender and Gibson are still two of my favorite companies. I I don't mean to disparage them, even though I sometimes do. You have to understand that where I'm coming from, it's almost like, uh, it's almost, it's almost like you can badmouth someone in your own family, but if someone else does it, then you get defensive. It's how I feel about Fender and Gibson. I love Fender. I love Gibson. I love their guitars. I love their history. I 
I do. I really do. I love them as companies. I do. But I'm, I'm so, I've been so disappointed with some of the choices they've made and with some of the products that they've come out with that I've probably overemphasized my disappointment by bashing on them a little too much. It's like when your favorite band puts out a new album that's not good. And they got a new singer, and you're like, yeah. what happened? Yeah. This new guy sucks. They're still your favorite band. Right. They're still your favorite band. You just... It's a lot like that. So I do... I, I really don't mean to make you think that I hate Fender and Gibson. I love Fender and Gibson. I just question some of their... Uh, some of the things that they've done, especially... In the last, uh, you know, decade or so, and throughout the decades, really, I mean, Fender used to have a guy named Fender that owned the company, right? Right. And uh, when he sold it, the company just slowly changed over time, and it's changed hands a bunch of times. I, you know, I'll always love the the designs i'll always love the history of the company um i i'm not i'm not yeah it's it's a tightrope that i walk with this it really is it really is you can hear it right right oh yeah because i i do love fender and gibson but you know i'm thinking would i buy a modern fender or a modern gibson and the answer truthfully is is no i don't think i would it would have to be really the right one I, I don't know. I, it's 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 a tricky deal. And they're in a tough situation. You look at it from Fender and Gibson's point of view. Their biggest competition is their own used market. Right. They've both been making guitars for decades. A lot of guitars. And so it's easier to buy a used one, especially when the older ones are arguably better made and i'm not talking about 50s you know guitars i'm talking about if you you know like a like an just buy one from the 90s or the 80s or something it's arguably a better guitar i don't know it's all opinions and i'm sure some of you will think i'm crazy but that's just how i feel about it uh anyhow are there any builders that i would that i think are doing good work yeah pretty much all of them I mean, I you know, there's a there's a billion of them out there, and uh, it's just a matter of whether or not you have a taste for what they're doing or not. Well, he he mentioned specifically uh, brands producing for the mass market, so I'm I'm assuming that's like Gretsch or Epiphone or. Well, Epiphone is Gibson. Gretsch is now owned by Fender. Oh. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Nothing. None that I'd really. Okay. None that I'd really want to plug on the show. All right. Yeah. Okay. Thanks, Warren. Welcome to Seattle. Let's take a quick break. What do you think? Sounds good. Okay. We'll be right back. Hi, podcast fans. Jay Boone from Emerald City Guitars here. We've been down here in Pioneer Square in downtown Seattle for 20 years, and a lot of things have changed. One thing hasn't changed, though. We still have a great selection of used and vintage guitars and amps. 
Now, that's not all we do now here. We also have a great service department, a great staff that's very knowledgeable, and tons of accessories and effects and just about everything you need if you're a guitar player. So we're celebrating our 20th anniversary this year, and we're doing all kinds of wonderful things, including giving folks great service, great deals, and shipping around the world. Visit our website at emeraldcityguitars.com, and you can see our entire selection of guitars and amps that we have on our floor at any time. We want to thank you guys for all the great years that you've shopped at our store, and that goes for all the folks not only in the Northwest, but around the country and around the world. Emerald City Guitars, your best source for vintage guitars and amps. Hey, this is Darren Jones from Jones and Fisher. Hello, this is Scott Marshall Watson calling. Just wanted to let everyone know how much I love my pinup guitar. Eric Dawes, pinup custom guitars. Can't say enough good things about them. Pinupcustomguitars.com. It's the closest thing that I've personally found to being anything like a, a real vintage 50s Telecaster style guitar. My name is Jay Boone. I am an owner of two pinup guitars. Eric makes guitars that remind me of the real vintage style guitars, and that's what appeals to me. PinupCustomGuitars.com. It makes me personally a better player. A very vintage sounding instrument, very light and resonant. And I use it all the time. I play with it regularly. Uh, I love the feel of the neck. It's a fat 50 style neck. This is Joshua Joel here. This guitar makes all other guitars that I've owned personally feel like toys in comparison. I love the guitar. It's my uh, my main rig when I'm out on the road. I, I ended up buying two of them and I, I use them both on a regular basis. I'll tell you what, if I had the money, I'd own 10 of them. Thank you, Eric. I appreciate the eagle eye for quality and and, uh, attention to detail. I'm a big fan. Way to go, Eric. Great job, Eric. I really appreciate it. Check one out for yourself. PinUpCustomGuitars.com. That's PinUpCustomGuitars.com. Hey, everyone. It's Melissa. As many of you may know, I make tooled leather guitar straps. Each strap is cut, carved, stamped, dyed, and finished by hand. My straps are made to last a lifetime. Visit melcoleather.com to check out my designs or contact me with your custom order. Contact me through my Etsy site or melcoleather at gmail.com. Podcast listeners will receive 15% off their order on Etsy when they use code FRETFILES at checkout. melcoleather.com. M-E-L-C-O-Leather.com. Hi, Eric. I purchased a Japanese Gibson Orville many years ago via eBay. It was one of my few eBay purchases. It had some replaced electronics, such as an added capacitor and a 57 Classic in the bridge, which is a good addition, actually. When I plugged the guitar in and played the bridge pickup, it squealed a lot. I assumed this was a wax potting issue on the pickup. I contacted the seller about the issue, and he was surprised by the problem and thought I was trying to scam him. Anyway, the messages from him were not helpful, and he refused to help in any way. I liked the guitar and decided to get it the pickup looked at. I took it to a shop. They rewaxed the pickup, but I took it home, and it still squealed. I took it back, and after a couple days, the technician said it was the pickup cover, and he replaced it. My current issue is I recently noticed the pole pieces on the pickup aren't perfectly aligned. The pickup looks a bit smaller with the strings. Also, is there a way to check if the pickup is indeed a 57 Classic since the sizing of the pickup is a bit smaller? Thanks in advance. Rob S. Cool. Thanks, Rob. Um, I, I'm not sure if he means that the new cover they put on 
if the pole pieces don't quite line up with the holes in the cover, or if he means that the pole pieces don't line up with the strings. I, I actually emailed him about this a while ago, and, and I, I, told, I, I was under the assumption that he was talking about that the pole pieces don't quite line up with the strings. Right. Yeah. So that's what I think he's saying. Yeah. In which case, that's not a huge deal. As long as there's not a volume discrepancy, um, it's okay. It's, it's you know, as, as long as they're not too wildly <laughs> uh, off kilter. Um, it's pretty common to see pole pieces that don't exactly line up with the strings on a on a humbucker pickup. Not a big deal. Um, I'm surprised that they potted the pickup and it and it didn't help because you know usually when a when a humbucker with a cover is squealing, it usually is the cover, and potting it will solve that. So I'm surprised that it didn't solve it anyway. Sounds like you got it taken care of after all, anyhow. But it's just unusual. I'm not sure why they had to replace the cover and pot it. It's weird. It's really weird. Uh, he also says, is there a way to check if the pickup is indeed a 57 Classic? Yeah. If you take it out, it should have a sticker on it on the underside that says 57 Classic. Huh. Yeah. I think they're labeled by a sticker. Cool. Yeah. All right. Thanks, Rob. Thanks, Rob. Eric and Melissa, happy new year to my favorite podcasters. Acoustic guitar pin slash bridge, slotted or unslotted, what is your preference and why? That's from Daniel Peterzelka. Bridge pins and bridge, slotted or unslotted. Well, um, I assume that he means uh, if we were going to build a guitar from scratch, what would be my preference? Because... They're really not interchangeable. If you're going to use unslotted bridge pins, you have to slot your bridge. Have you ever seen an unslotted bridge pin? You know what a bridge pin is, right? Oh, yeah, of course, yeah. yeah. Uh, there's slotted and there's unslotted. Back in the day, everything was unslotted. And, and so then the... you'd have a tiny slot in the hole. For the string. For, for the string to kind of sit in. Right. Yeah. And a lot of old school guys just feel like that's the better way because that's the way they used to do it, you know. Right. And now that you now bridge pins have a slot in them, at least most right most companies do. To if you use an unslotted bridge pin, that's that's kind of the old fashioned way to do it, and you know it, it's a cool way to do it. I don't know. I I prefer slotted bridge pins because that's the standard. That's the norm. It works fine. Some people feel like one way or the other is better for the bridge plate. And that is going to be um, in the long haul. It's going to be better for the bridge plate. Like, I think usually, you know, you hear the argument that a slotted uh, bridge and an unslotted pin is better for the bridge, uh, the bridge pad, the bridge plate. Huh. Yeah. And because... That ball end, the ball end of the string sits against the bridge plate and it kind of chews it up over time. Right. And the theory is that because there's a slot there and then the pin is sitting up against the slot rather than up against the round hole. Right. And it just has a, a little more surface area to sit up against. So, I don't know. I, I, prefer, I prefer slotted bridge pins. That's just me. 
It's really just personal preference. Okay, thanks, Daniel. Hi, Eric and Melissa. As always, thank you so much for the show. It just keeps getting better and better. My question is about Strat-style tremolo systems. I recently picked up an older Tom Anderson S-style guitar with a vintage-style trem and wondered if you had some tips on the best way to set the springs and claw to to best stay in tune. I've heard some folks like to angle the claw while others feel it's best to keep it straight across. Also, do you recommend using the typical three springs or use more? The guitar is set up so the trem lays flat on the body and cannot be pulled upward. I like this as I do a lot of pedal steel type bends and don't like the trem to move when I do this, so I have a fair amount of tension on the springs. I only use them to gently shake chords, but I want to set up for the most stable tuning I can. Hope that makes sense. Thanks again for all that you guys do. I can't express how much help this podcast has been in maintaining my guitars and just having a better understanding of guitar repair in general. Cool. Much thanks, Kurt from Seattle. Cool. Thanks, Kurt. I really appreciate that, man. Thanks for listening. Um, yeah, the, some of the tips to best keep your Strat style tremolo in tune. It sounds like you're already doing one of them, and that is to keep... Keep it set up so that it's uh, resting flat against the body. That's, that's if you're having tuning problems, that's the best way to do it. Um, and then he's talking about how many springs to use, how do you set the claw. The claw is the little receptacle that holds the springs okay. oppos- opposite the tremolo in sure. the back of the guitar. Um, and that's all just kind of... Uh, personal preference. There's no right or wrong way to do it. Some people really feel like you should have all five springs in there. Some people feel like you should have three. Uh, I do like to um, set the claw so that it's level. I don't like the claw to be tilted because then it's pulling unevenly on the tremolo um, with different spring tension from side to side, you know. So I I like the claw to be on the same level parallel to the to the to the bridge block and then um you know depending on your string gauge depending on your tuning uh you can use more or less springs and then you can adjust the tension by adjusting the claw and that's all personal preference and sometimes it just you know a certain guitar in a with a certain set of strings really just requires one thing or another i do like uh, to have um, at least three springs in there. You know, fewer than three, and it's just not enough tension. And uh, as many as five, five is great. I mean, if you have five, all five springs in there, uh, you can you can adjust it so that there's really not much tension on each spring. There's just so many springs that that uh, they're all working together, and I, I do like that. So that's probably my personal preference is all five springs. Huh. But again, it depends on, you know, if you're using really, really light strings, then you might not want to use five springs. It just depends on how you want the tremolo to feel. Hmm. Yeah. Great. Thanks, Kurt. Hi, Eric and Melissa. Thanks again for making an entertaining podcast. I have a question about worn finishes on acoustic instruments. I have spots on some guitars that I've worn through the finish to bare wood on the soundboard as well as on the sides. 
How important slash immediate is it that I get those spots refinished? Does the type of finish, varnish, French polish, nitro, poly, have to be a match? Are there other products that can be used? For example, linseed oil or furniture polish. Matt from Chicago. Cool. Thanks, Matt. I'm curious about these guitars that you're wearing through the finish on the sides. The guy has sandpaper pants. <laughs> Are these new guitars? Are they vintage guitars? Um, that's interesting, Matt. I, uh, uh, I would, honestly, I would take it on a case-by-case basis if we're talking about a $200 washburn from last year made in China or if we're talking about <clears throat> a, a Washburn parlor guitar made in, in 1912, then there's two different, two different approaches, you know? Right. Uh, but I definitely would steer away from just starting to rub linseed oil or, 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 or anything like that on it. Uh, you really, you should, um, consult, a competent luthier in your area on that. Or if you want to send me pictures of what you're talking about, let's do that. We can do a follow-up. Send me pictures. Tell me what kind of guitars you're talking about because it does make a difference. Uh, The finish, what it's finished with, what kind of wood is it, how bad is the damage, is it a valuable instrument? These all have to be considered. These are all things that have to be considered. So um, if you want to follow up with me, send me an email. Do, for can we do for an ex, an example like a two hundred dollar washburn? What do you do? Well, I'd want to see the damage. I, I, a two hundred dollar washburn has a polyurethane finish that is pretty thick hmm. and pretty stout. So I would be surprised that he's worn through. But again, I don't know. Right. Um. Okay, well then what about the 1912 Washburn parlor well, guitar? Well, if you've got a vintage guitar uh, and you've worn all the way through the finish, um, I unless it's really, really bad, I would tend to say leave it alone. Hmm. Because if the finish is original... You don't want to uh, you don't want to start messing around with the finish because it really affects the value of a vintage instrument to right. to to do any refinishing. Well, that makes sense to me. Yeah. Hopefully, we hear from you next month, Matt. Hey guys, love the show. I'm an amateur ho- and slash hobby luthier. I've got known a no name arch top guitar with a round sound hole, sweet painted on binding, no truss rod slotted peg head and a nice old sunburn finish sunburst finish it's also sunburned sunburned (laughs) i've reset the neck and refretted it but it's and it's got a sweet old boxy sound the thing is you can't be gentle with your string attack i mean you have to strum or flat pick hard or you end up with a muddled tone hit the sucker hard and it sounds great and i don't like this because i'm a finger picker my thought is that the super heavy square ladder bracing and the thick birch top needs lots of energy from heavy strumming to be excited by the strings enough to produce a desirable sound. What can I do to get this guitar to be more sensitive? Could I change the cross section of the braces? 
heavier strings. I normally play Diodario medium lights. Hmm. <laughs> well, an archtop guitar, uh that's that's kind of that's kind of par for the course on an archtop guitar. They're they're they have a punchy, um quieter sound unless you they're they're really you know, you have to think about the history of guitars. Archtops were uh they were designed to be rhythm instruments in a big band situation predominantly you know so you'd strum them kind of hard and punchy little chords and you know <coughs> they're really not finger-picking guitars so i'm not surprised you know by your uh, uh by your assessment of the guitar but it's just that's just kind of how that guitar is and i'm not surprised at all that that's how it sounds um what can you do about it? I really, I mean, if you want to start messing with the bracing and whatnot, you could, but I really don't think you're going to get much different tone out of it uh, being what it is. An archtop with a round sound hole. Sounds like he's got a, that's, you know, Gibson made some guitars like that in the 30s. They're, they're kind of a hybrid between a modern guitar and an old-fashioned archtop. They've got a round sound hole, but they're but they're an arch top cool. guitar. Yeah, um, you could try heavier strings, but you know you might bend that guitar in half. <laughs> uh, you say it has no truss rod, and uh, so I'm assuming it's an old old. You say it's a no name arch top guitar. I'm assuming it's an old old guitar. I I don't know, but um, yeah, that's the tone that you're describing is the tone that I would expect from that guitar. And uh, it's you just can't, you know, you, you, you're just going to have to kind of adjust your expectations <laughs> for that guitar. That's my opinion. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, sorry. That's, that's my news anyway. Uh, I think that, that does it for the show. You know, I really appreciate all of the participation. I appreciate so much all of you that listen. If you would like to participate in the show, please do so. You can do so by calling 757-774-8482. Call or text that number anytime, 757-774-8482. The other way to do it is go to my website, ericdaw.com. That's E-R-I-C-D-A-W.com. You can click the contact link and uh, send your question or comment for the show there. Find us on Facebook. We've got a Fret Files Facebook page. Uh, as always, you can find the show at fretfiles.com. We're on the ufoship.com podcast network. Much obliged to Michael Van Dieven, the, uh, the owner of that podcast network, for having us. And uh, much gratitude to you for listening. I appreciate it. Thanks to my, of course, lovely co-host and wife. Thank you, Eric. Yeah, I do what I can. We'll feel better, and we'll have better voices uh, next month, and we'll have all kinds of new, awesome content for you. So we'll see you soon. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. <laughs>